We've been talking over the last several weeks about attitude. Uh, I began a few weeks ago uh, by talking about uh, having a sublime attitude and uh, developing, learning to develop and maintain a sublime attitude in our meditation. As I spoke to in the meditation today, we seek to meditate with an attitude of appreciation, compassion, loving kindness. And then of course, you know, the meditation is just this little slice of life. Uh, uh, it's a slice of life in which we are also training ourselves uh, to uh, be skillful uh, in life, uh, in all the postures that we take, not just our posture of meditation. So we make an effort to uh, develop a sublime attitude, to have a sublime attitude in all of our postures and all of our activities. So even uh, we, as we make an effort to have a sublime attitude in our meditation, and once the bell rings, then we don't say, oh, that's, that's it for today. We can have a sublime attitude as we're listening to the Dharma uh, and as we go through the rest of our day. As I uh, began to talk about having a sublime attitude, I began to think about how important it is that we uh, learn to be uh, mindful of our attitudes in general. Uh, and of course, that's the first thing that we suggest doing in the meditation is seeing what kind of attitude you're bringing to it. Uh, if the attitude is unskillful, uh, let's say there's resistance, aversion to the meditation, and we don't bring awareness to that, if we cultivate, try to cultivate a sublime attitude, I mean, we'll make a little bit of headway there, but, you know, it's, we're kind of, uh, 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 you know, kind of trying to push through that unskillful attitude. So what we want to try to do in our practice is abandon the unskillful and cultivate the skillful. A lot of the practice is to, in terms of attitude, is to see when attitude is unskillful during the course of our day and in our meditation. Uh, uh, to be mindful of attitude is something that I've been talking about quite a bit. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about mind states, be aware of mind states, be aware of emotions. We tend to ascribe that mindfulness to sort of more blatant, uh, kind of specific examples of emotions that may arise in relationship to certain things that happen during the course of our days. But this quality of attitude uh, is, is, a, is a mind quality that we, you know, sort of always have, that we have certain habitual attitudes uh, that, uh, uh, you know, may be subtle. Uh, we may not even notice them in terms of the way that we're thinking, but they're a felt experience. Uh, they're a felt sense that we have. So, uh, you know, it's really important to kind of notice and, you know, sort of the upshot of all this is it's very important to uh, particularly, I mean, if we want to be able to have a sublime attitude in life, which in many ways is our goal in life, is to live life with compassion and loving kindness and take action informed by uh, those qualities. Uh, it's really important to be, uh, learn to be able to be uh, aware of uh, what our attitude is this quality of awareness in uh, Pali is sati sampajana. Sati 
means mindfulness, sampajana means alertness. So we're mindful and alert. Those qualities are paired as we go through our days. You know, uh, that's what we're striving for is that there's sati sampajana. You know, so there's awareness, there's mindfulness, alertness, there's awareness. We're aware of the experience of body and mind. We're aware of the experience of attitude. Uh, we're paying attention to our attitude. So we want to develop these qualities, of, this quality of sati sampajana, uh, being mindful and alert to the attitude that we have as we go through our days, being mindful and alert to our habitual attitudes. So it's really important to develop this sati sampajana, mindfulness and alertness, vis-a-vis -vis attitude, uh, you know, it really, it has to be developed, you know, just sort of in general, if we want to know uh, happiness and peace in our lives, because we have to see what isn't, uh, you know, conducive to happiness and peace. It's very important in terms of, uh, uh, you know, being able to see what attitude is and attitudes that aren't conducive to happiness and peace. Uh, it's very important to have, uh, uh, you know, an ability in a more developed way to practice sati sampajana, mindfulness and alertness, because attitude is so subtle. You know, we typically don't notice it. And part of why we don't notice it, I talked about this last week, is we just take it for granted. We ascribe it to self, this is who I am. Uh, and uh, we don't uh, uh, perhaps even consider that there's any other way to be than how we are with regard to our habitual attitudes. You know, it's like you wouldn't go through the day and say, oh, my hand is here, I have a hand, oh, I have five fingers, you know, I have an arm, you know. I mean, in being mindful, you sort of are doing that, uh, but we sort of just take it for granted that we have a hand if you have a hand. You know, if you're blessed to have a hand, you take it for granted that you have a hand, and you know, you don't, you don't really sort of, this is who I am, I have a hand, you know. Even though hand, of course, is not self either, but, you know, it's like we're not suffering so much over hand, you know, but it's sort of like attitude is like this. Yeah, this is me. This is who I am. This is my personality. Yeah, you know, I'm from New York, you know, whatever it is, you know, we just sort of take it for granted. Uh, so we believe this is who we are. So, uh, so because of that, uh, you know, it's sort of, uh, we don't notice attitude. And then again, you know, as I talked about last week, attitude manifests largely as a felt sense, as a felt sense, sometimes a subtle felt sense. A lot of times it's a subtle felt sense, a very ingrained felt sense. So, you know, in order to really have strong sati sampajana, we really need to be mind developed in mindfulness of the body uh, so that there can be mindfulness and alertness of a felt sense in the body because that's how attitude manifests. So this is why, you know, the way that we practice meditation is very important and that we really make an effort to develop a full body awareness, to learn to develop sensitivity to the body. So... I think I alluded maybe last week to some of the types of exercises that we used to do in the past in classes uh, to help people develop certain skills. So, and I'll put this in the notes and it's sort of just, you know, take, take what you like and leave the rest. You don't have to do it. Some people like doing this kind of thing. Some people uh, abhor it. 
uh, but uh, we, we would uh, suggest an exercise, and I'll kind of give a modified version of it that I would suggest is, uh, we used to call it a six-time book, I'll call it a three-time book, where you take the, six, the seven days of the week and divide each day into three columns. So Sunday, today, you could have three columns. Morning, you could have morning, evening, and afternoon if you want. If you want to be a little bit more specific, and in each column, you write down an example of when you are mindful of your attitude. It's just an exercise that sort of helps you develop the habit of being mindful of your attitude. So, for example, on Tuesday morning, you might write in the box for Tuesday morning, I was mindful of my attitude when I was brushing my teeth. If you wanted to be a little more specific, I was mindful of an attitude, my attitude of negativity about the day. And three times a day, you write down when you were mindful of your attitude. It's actually, it comes from a, it's a, it's a very classical way in Buddhism of, of developing certain skills related to uh, satisampajana. Uh, you know, and I, I think, you know, in the exercise, it's fine just to say, I noticed my attitude, you know, in the afternoon when I was on the bus, you know. Uh, if you want to be more specific and give the attitude a label, that's fine. Uh, you know, one thing with attitude, it can be a little murky, right? You know, uh, you know, it's a, it, you know, it's, it's a compounded experience attitude to some extent. So, you know, it might be, you know, it might have a quality of aversion to it. It might be a little hard, or some other quality to it. But it might be a little hard to be very specific about a label. So don't worry about that. You know, main purpose of the exercise whether you do it or not, the main purpose of the skill that we're trying to develop, that I would suggest doing, uh, is that you're learning to develop satisampajana, you're learning to develop awareness of your attitudes, you're learning to develop awareness of your mind as you go through the course of your day, you're learning to develop awareness of your experience. The activity helps you train the mind so that you are aware of experience. The last thing you want to do in doing this kind of exercise is use some kind of an app. That's the last thing you want to do. Oh, I, I could do that. I could have an app ring three times a day and I'll notice my attitude. That's not mental training. That's app training. That's exactly what you want to do and that really speaks to the dangers of a lot of technology that do a lot of things for us that the mind historically has done. You know. So, you know, if you're doing that, you're, you're actually at cross-purposes to the skills that we're trying to develop. This is sort of like old-fashioned stuff, you know, doing it the old-fashioned way, you know? So you want to develop mental, you know, mental acuity, you know, sk mental skills, strength of mind. You're learning to remember, you know? The, the little book helps you learn to remember, right? Mindfulness is a process of remembering. So you're remembering to be mindful of your attitude. Oh, my attitude in the afternoon, I noticed that, you know, when I got home from work or in the evening before I went to bed. So really want to try to get away from using any kind of technological way to do what you're trying to train the mind to do. So when there's satisampajana awareness, uh, and that's matched up with wise reflection, we have what we call heedfulness. Wise reflection or appropriate attention 
Uh, so we bring awareness to our attitude. <coughs> so we bring awareness to the attitude, <coughs> excuse me, uh, in the afternoon or whenever it is you notice this afternoon or it could be right now. And wise reflection is just what it sounds like, you know. You're reflecting on the attitude, you know, and the heart of the reflection is really, uh, uh, you know, is encompassed by that question that we often suggest, is it skillful? Is it conducing to suffering or is it conducing to happiness, this attitude? What are the consequences of uh, engendering this attitude? Uh, do I have to engender it? Do I have to, you know, maintain this habitual attitude? Now, oftentimes, and we've talked about this a lot in this group over the years, it's amazing that, you know, we can say over the years now, uh, if you just bring awareness to an experience like an attitude of aversion or resentment or dissatisfaction or disappointment or discouragement or worry, if you just bring awareness to it, if there's some space, uh, you know, the awareness contains uh, wisdom. What Ajahn Sumedho, the Thai uh, forest master says intuitive awareness. So within that awareness of just, you know, bringing sati sampajana to the mental quality, there's some understanding that, you know, this is conducing to suffering and I don't have to hold on to this attitude. If I choose to abandon it, I can do that. Uh, but we can develop wise reflection through a gentle questioning, of course, of the attitudes, keeping it simple. But if there's some space, uh, you know, awareness can be intuitive, can be informed by wisdom. And it's always informed by wisdom as long as there's a little bit of space. So in the Buddha and his teachings to Rahula, uh, his son, one of the most important uh, teachings in the canon, uh, speaks to uh, this practice of heedfulness, of bringing awareness to our experience, uh, uh, the skill of bringing awareness to our experience. We're really talking here about attitude. Uh, uh, he talks about uh, uh, you know, important elements of that skill. So one thing that he talks about is, uh, you know, and this again is, a, is sort of a function of having space, is uh, the way that we learn to look at our experience if it's an attitude. So the way that we learn to look at our attitude in a non-reactive manner, right? So we're bringing awareness to an attitude, uh, but as the Buddha says in his teaching to Rahula, it's just like holding up a mirror to your attitude. You know, the mirror doesn't comment on the attitude, doesn't react, it just shows you what the attitude is. If you look in the mirror, it's just a reflection of what's there. So, you know, as we look at our attitudes, as we bring awareness to them, we want to do that, you know, in this non-reactive way or non-judgmental way or with acceptance, right? So we're just looking at it, but we're not commenting on it, right? We're not commenting on it. We're not judging it. We're bringing awareness to it and wisdom, but we're not uh, reacting. And you know, and that's that's one of the difficulties that we have, of course, is that we tend to be, oh my God, look at my, you know, look at my attitude. It's so, you know, it's it's terrible. It's awful. Oh, I'm an awful person, or whatever. 
there, okay, there's an attitude of discouragement or disappointment or dissatisfaction. Uh, so to look at it in a non-judgmental way with acceptance, that's one element of the skill that the Buddha speaks to, and the other element of the skill that's critical in developing Santisampajana, in being able to be uh, heedful of what it is that we're doing, uh, is truthfulness. So, uh, so in being aware of our attitudes, uh, you know what we're asked by the Buddha. Uh, we're asked to be able to uh, develop if we want to find freedom from our suffering is to be able to be truthful about what we're doing, to be able to be truthful about our attitudes. I mean, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but not really. You know, an attitude is something that you're doing. You know, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why we don't pay attention to it is we just think, well, an attitude is just there. It's like the weather. I'm not doing the weather, right? I don't make it rain or, you know, you know, but attitude is kind of an internal weather that you're creating. <laughs> you're creating the attitude. It's, you know, you're creating it by holding on to certain mental states, mental qualities, clinging, clinging. So, uh, and that's of course one of the things that we need to learn to be truthful about. But just in general, can we learn to be truthful with ourselves about our attitudes, about our habitual attitudes? And that's a process, of course, of truthfulness. In many ways, the path, I think, I, th I look at the path of, of, uh, of spiritual growth, uh, you know, as a path or a process of deepening into truthfulness. So can we learn to be truthful with ourselves uh, about our habitual attitudes? I mean, most beings go through their whole lives and, you know, they're, you know, they're, they, they block themselves off from the truth about the way their minds are and what their attitudes are. You know, and it may not be so easy for us to, uh, and again, it's a process to be truthful about what our minds are like and what our attitudes are. I mean, for one thing, you know, it's sort of like, well, this is who I am, and, uh, you know, if it's not so pleasant to look at, you know, it's kind of hard to be truthful about that. You know, often what we see when we look at our attitudes may not be so pleasant, may not be so lovely. You know, this is one of the things I learned early on when I started to make a real effort to practice mindfulness and satisampajana was, you know, what mindfulness was seeing, you know, wasn't very pretty, you know, it wasn't very pretty. So, you know, what we, what we may see may not be uh, what we'd like to see or what, how we'd like to think about ourselves. may not be the picture of the mind that we'd like to present to the world, but it is what we're presenting or what we think we present. You know, we'd like to think that we present a different kind of attitude, you know. I mean, I think I, I, I think I, you know, when I'm sort of in my, my deluded state, I like to think I present a certain attitude, even though there's very little to corroborate that that might be true, but I'd like to think that I present a certain attitude. It's an idea that I have about myself, you know, when I'm trying to, to buoy myself into thinking that, 
you know, all these years of spiritual practice and therapy have led me to being able to present myself to the world and to myself and to the people I love in a certain way. You know, and I might have an idea about that, but it may be nothing more than an idea, you know? It may not really, you know, uh, be a reflection of the truth, a mirror held up to the truth. So, uh, you know, you know, this is something we kind of have to learn, you know, we sort of have to learn to be able to uh, practice this sort of truthfulness. We're not uh, perhaps so used to being truthful in this way, being truthful with ourselves, about ourselves. Most of us, you know, it's not a skill that we've learned uh, culturally. There's not a lot of uh, emphasis on, uh, you know, on, on, on relating to ourselves in this way. So we may have a history just sort of like as I just delineated of ignoring or denying the truth or having, you know, uh, a false notion of things. So this quality of truthfulness is one of the one of the most important qualities. You know, it's one of the most important qualities. You could argue it's the most important quality uh, for a Dharma student. You know, what what I would I uh, what encourages me uh, about students uh, uh, who are moving along the path is I see they're being more truthful with themselves about themselves and about their minds, you know. Somebody in the class a few weeks ago said, you know, as we were talking about this, oh, I really see how, you know, I've had a really bad attitude. That's what I like to hear, you know? You know? It's like, you know, you could say, oh, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. Yeah, yeah great, you know. Uh, if you really want to get along the path, be truthful with yourself about the way that your mind is and what your attitudes are like. One of the ways that sort of manifests is in what I call the shift. You know, uh, you know, I'll be talking to a student, you know, and uh, you know, and they'll be saying something. Ah, oh, yeah, my job, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's awful. You know, my boss, he's a tyrant, and you know, the people there are terrible and awful. You know, and then at some point, you know, and that goes on for like a few years, you know, and then and then one day the student comes to me and says, you know, I see. I see these feelings of aversion arising on the job. I see that, you know, I'm holding on to these feelings of resentment about my boss. That's the shift. That's being honest. That's being truthful. You're truthful about what you're doing. Uh, you know, the Buddha said, you know, give me a person that's truthful and I can teach that person the Dharma. Give me a person that's truthful and I can teach that person the Dharma. If you're not truthful, it's really hard to uh, move along the path. So, you know, this is something that we can reflect on a little bit. Uh, are we truthful? Are we truthful about ourselves? Are we truthful with ourselves about our minds and the way our minds are? Are we truthful with ourselves about our attitudes? Now, truthfulness, again, you know, it's a process. It's an, an, it, you know, as I, 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 I like to think of the path again, is one in which, uh, you know, we, we're, we're just, it, there's layers of truthfulness, you know? Uh, you know, and I can see things about my mind that I couldn't see five years ago and ten years ago. Uh, and maybe there's more of a capacity to be truthful. You 
know, sometimes we would say, you know, God only gives you what you can handle, you know. Uh, so maybe we become more internally stronger, and that's why we learn to develop healthy ego and develop parami so that we can be truthful about the things about ourselves that aren't so easy to hold and look at. Uh, so we develop that ability to be truthful by developing our parami so that we can look at, you know, you know, I always used to say it's the old Jack Nicholson line, you know, you can't handle the truth. You know, so we're developing the ability to be able to handle the truth. Some things that help us develop truthfulness, a couple of things come to mind uh, in addition to parami which is probably that you know is crucial developing our parami developing a, a, an awareness of our goodness the truth of our goodness enables us to look at the things about the mind and our attitudes that are are painful and difficult to look at uh, association with wise beings specifically uh, admirable beings beings who exemplify truthfulness so don't hang out with liars you know I mean, I, I look at this sort of two ways. I mean, I mean this, well, maybe there's more than two ways. I mean, you know, you want to be with beings who uh, are, are modeling truthfulness. Uh, one way of uh, developing truthfulness by being with wise beings is having an association with teachers who can uh, point out to you things about yourself that are unskillful. Uh, I find, you know, that tends to be more of a, you know, a, a dynamic that uh, uh, plays in, you know, probably more in uh, Eastern Buddhist configurations. In the West, we sort of don't like that. I've found very few people that, like, tell me all the bad things about myself. It's like, you know, uh, our, 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 our uh, modus operandi tends to be like, we need to find those things out for ourselves, which is fine. So I don't really kind of, I mean, that, and that can be a very high level of a teacher-student relationship where the teacher is very honest with the student about uh, things that perhaps the student can't see about themselves, but that I'm not that uh, uh, concerned about in terms of, uh, you know, I mean, it, it can be, help, be helpful to have people who can be truthful with yourself, but it can, but, but you have to, it has to be a very high level of trust. So I don't really... I don't really necessarily encourage that kind of a relationship or, 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 or engage in it so much myself as a teacher. What I do think is probably the most important thing is association with other beings who model truthfulness. You know? I mean, I, honestly, I learned to be truthful in 12-step in programs, in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, where people were profoundly truthful about, about all the stuff that they did and I know a few people here can, can identify with me as being in 12-step programs, people who are profoundly truthful about all of their uh, mistakes and faults and uh, shortcomings, you know, and, and of course, you know, it, you know in, in, in a 12-step program like that, you know, you, it's a life or death thing, you know, so you're doing it to save your, to save your butt, and, you know, you learn to develop, you know, you do, you know, what's known as, as many of you know, as a fourth step, but you know, it's really you know, good recovery in 12-step programs is a process of being truthful. You know? And there, you know, people, you know, like, you know, you have people that say, hey, you know, you're a jerk, you know. I mean, but you know, again, you don't mind that so much, you know, 
because you're trying to save your life. So, I mean, for myself, I really learned truthfulness by seeing other people model it in a very profound way. Uh, you know, but in, in any case, you know, I'm very fortunate in that respect that I learned that, you know, because I didn't have that skill at all of being truthful. I mean, it was astonishing for me, but it was also profoundly inspiring to see people being able to be truthful with themselves about their experience in that way. It was just very empowering for me. Uh, but, uh, you know, whether or not you, you know, you're fortunate enough to be able to have that kind of, uh, uh, you know, a Dharma setting to some extent falls into that. Uh, I, I find that most people, uh, and I think, you know, reasonably, uh, you know, your, your experiences of being truthful with others or being in configurations where people are modeling truthfulness are probably more in like a one-on-one -on -one with people, that kind of a thing with friends that you have and, uh, you know, family and, you know, you know, as opposed to being in groups. Uh, but, you know, hopefully, you know, Dharma, Dharma communities, you know, are, are safe places where people can be truthful, but most people find it, you know, easier with a teacher or with, or with another being. Uh, but in any case, you, you want to have association with people who are being truthful. You want to see what that's like and learn what that's like. Uh, and then, of course, you know, as the Buddhist spoke to Rahula, uh, said to Rahula, uh, we develop truthfulness by refraining from false speech, refraining from lying in terms of uh, our verbal action. So, uh, you, know, you know, of course, lying is the fourth precept, you know. So there's, uh, so it's a very important uh, element of the practice, the path, you know. And so we try to, in terms of, uh, the precept and refraining from false speech, uh, you know, this is a profoundly important part of our process. So, you know, it usually begins by refraining from blatant lying and then more subtle layers of being truthful. Uh, I, I write in my book about being true to your word, which is a very uh, well-known principle, you know, in, in, in Thailand. You know, if you say you're going to do something, do it. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, more subtle layers of truthfulness that we can develop verbally in terms of our speech that are going to conduce to uh, the parami of truthfulness and being more truthful with ourselves about ourselves. You know, the Buddha said to Rahula, if you lie to others, there's no telling what you'll do in this life because you won't be able to truth be truthful with yourself about your actions. So... Uh, you know, one of the things that, you know, it's really important to reflect on, really important to reflect on, is do you engage in any way in false speech, uh, uh, in lying? Uh, if so, you're going to be compromised in terms of your ability to be truthful with yourself, about yourself, about your actions, about your attitudes, about what you're doing that's conducing to suffering. Ultimately, in being truthful about our attitudes, we're being truthful about our suffering, right? We're being truthful about our suffering. So being truthful about our attitudes, I have this attitude of negativity that I engender and hold on to, this attitude of dissatisfaction or resentment or whatever it is, we're being truthful with ourselves about our suffering. You know, it's a function of the first noble truth.
you know, we're being truthful with ourselves about dukkha, you know, that our heart is blocked. Attitude, holding on to attitude is a form of dukkha. It's a form of suffering, and that's what we begin to see as we begin to bring wise attention to our attitudes, you know. It's more than just our personality. It's dukkha. It's suffering, you know. In in uh, holding on to habitual attitudes and going through our days with those habitual attitudes, we're going through our days uh, uh, afflicted with dukkha, and the heart is blocked off uh, when we are uh, uh, engendering and holding on to our habitual attitudes. So, in bringing awareness to attitude, we learn to understand this, and this becomes our most profound motivation for being aware of our attitudes, because we want to be aware of our suffering, we want to be aware of how our hearts are blocked, we want to be aware of what it is that we're doing that's preventing us from happiness of heart. So we seek to be aware of attitude to develop in sati sampajana because we have a wish to be free from suffering. We have a wish to be connected to the heart. We have a wish for happiness of heart. So let's just close our eyes just for a moment.